Thank you. Love you, bro. So I don't know, Carl, if you didn't want to reveal our age or something, but I believe you and Arthur connected at a leadership summit at our church. Was it 2011? And so you and I have been around each other, uh, acquaintances. I would count you as a friend, but known each other for now, you know, going on, I guess, 12 years. I mean, and I've gotten to be a part of this church, uh, connected here, sharing here, since Arthur first first came on as the pastor here, which now has been how many years? Seven? Yeah, six or seven years, because I remember when we first started One Race, which was something that I was a part of, and I recently got a little, you know how you'll get those little posts that remind you of something that happened a few years ago, and we had our very first One Race prayer meeting six years ago uh, this month. And, and so just reflecting back on that time, and Arthur is one of the first pastors, and this church was one of the first churches that jumped in on that. And then in 2018, the week that we did an event in August of 2018, and we went to the top of Stone Mountain, and, and we uh, declared an end to racism and dead religion in the city of Atlanta with pastors and leaders. If some of you were there for that, just raise your hand real quick. Just a handful of us. So those of you that remember that season, you know, that was that same week they got the decree that they were changing Confederate Avenue to United Avenue. And so I share those stories to say I feel connected to the story of of United and connected to the vision here and and know many of you and have known many of you for for several years now. And I do want to share a little encouragement before we jump into the scripture and that is, and are you going to hang with me the whole time? Oh, I love that. That's so good. I, I really like that. I like, cause it, cause it just makes me feel just smooth. Like it's just, it just keeps, keeps it, keeps it smooth up here. And so I, I was going to ask, cause you know, I was like, you kept it smooth for Carl during the offering and during the announcements. I was like, oh, I hope he stays up for me. So thank you for that. Um, so the, the thing I want to encourage y'all with is as someone who gets to come once or twice a year and gets to share with you guys either at a special event or a church, sometimes you don't realize the spiritual growth that's happening and the leadership growth that's happening within your own community because you see it in increments week to week. But to get to see how there are a variety of leaders, both those like Carl who have been here a long time and then new faces that I don't, I don't you know, know yet, Wesley who's been here... I, I don't want to out you, Wesley, but is it, is it long? You've been faithfully back there behind those screens, running sound, fixing the lights, doing the deal. You know, and so it's like God is just blessing you guys with this, with this increase of leadership, spiritual hunger. Every time I'm here, there's a new fast that you guys are doing. <laughs> there's a new prayer meeting <laughs> that y'all are doing, an encounter night that you're doing, an outreach that you're doing, something community-wide that you're doing. And it just feels to me as an observer coming in periodically like God is raising up a really healthy spiritual family here. And I just want to encourage you. It's a, and, and, it's, and it's clear that though Pastor Arthur is the shepherd, that, that there are many leaders and contributors and shepherds and people who are bringing their gifts in a wide variety of ways that is making United Church what it is becoming and what it is. And it's just beautiful. It's just encouraging, you know, and, and uh, a sp- spiritually healthy community is going to create spiritually healthy new disciples. 
right? And it's like if this is not healthy and the dynamics here aren't healthy, you know, God is not going to bless that with the with the, the the healthy kind of growth that you want to see. This the depth of people's lives and also people being drawn to something where they really can encounter and experience God. And I really believe if I were to distill down what I see that I think is probably the the biggest contributor that I would encourage you to continue to go after is I feel like both individually and corporately, this body is putting God first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the enemy wants to sometimes come and trick us and prioritize ministry to people over ministry to God. But when we have our, our identity rooted rightly as priests, as sons and daughters, and as the bride of Christ, we know that if we're sons and daughters, we put the priority of the father first, right? If we are a good bride, we put the priority of our bridegroom first. And if we're a priestly people, we put ministry to God before ministry to people. And, and out of that, there's going to be an overflow to produce something in people's lives that you can't produce any other way. Because we know John 15 really is true. We only can produce fruit by abiding in him. We can only produce fruit by abiding in him. And so I encourage you to keep pressing in that direction. Keep pressing into God in the place of prayer and worship. Keep him at the center of your worship gatherings. Keep the presence of God rich in this place. And there's going to be a, this is going to be a beautiful vineyard of the Lord. This is going to be a garden for God's pleasure. And he's going to come walk among the lampstands. He's going to come and this place is going to be filled with light and presence and warmth and family. There's going to be an altar and there's going to be a table in the heart of our city. And you're going to host not just the unbeliever, but first and foremost, you're going to host the presence of God, right? And if you're hosting the presence of God, a hungry world's going to come out, going to come out and feast. And so I just want to pray. Just I want to just pray and just bless what God is doing here before we even jump into the word. Father, I thank you for 34 days of fasting and prayer and 6 a.m. prayer meetings, God. God, we pray, Lord, that you would bless the priestly ministry. We thank you for the leadership, ones like Wesley and Abigail and Alex and just each one, Lord, that is contributing the vitality of the spiritual family. And I ask, Father, that you would anoint the giftings in this place, the creative giftings, the musical giftings, the marketplace giftings, Lord, that it would be priestly offering to you, that it would be living sacrifices to you, and I pray, Lord, as the incense rises, heaven would come down. As the, as the gifts rise before you, God, the activity of angels would increase in this place. There would be an open heavens reality that this body would operate in the gifts of the Spirit. There would be a greater measure of hunger for God this year than ever before. And I ask, Father, especially just a sense, even in my own heart today, there's just a grace for faithfulness in the little things. That faithfulness in the little things compose a life, Lord, and, and they get us to a vision uh, of who we want to be. And as you give a vision for what United Church is to be, God, I pray there's grace in the little things to just obey, grace in the little things to show up and sing the songs and give. And, and I just ask, Father, that you would release that grace even right now, release the grace for faithfulness in the little things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, there's a word there that I actually, I can't just leave it in the place of prayer. I need to expound on it just for a moment that I, I really felt, Lord, just speak that phrase, grace for faithfulness in the little things. And there's some of you that have a huge vision to scale a mountain. A couple of summers ago, not this past summer, the summer before, 
I actually uh, climbed Mount Kenya in Africa. My family was there for a little while, and it was very difficult. And the guide that we had, uh, the African guide that took us to the top of the mountain on the final day of our hike, it was about a four-day hike, he got us up at 4.30 in the morning. And the reason why he told us later is, I get you up not that early. I get you up that early, not because you need that much time, but he said, I want you to start while it's still dark, because if you see how far you have to go, you're going to (laughs) quit. So he kind of tricked us a little bit. And so we, (laughs) and so, but, but, you know, the way that I scaled that mountain, which is the second highest mountain in Africa and, and had to deal with all the difficulty. We got sick because altitude sickness and we weren't in good enough shape. And, you know, it was just it was just a completely the, the change in climate because you're starting out in basically the African desert in Kenya. And then within a few days, you're basically like in Antarctica at the top by the time you're at the top. But the way we climbed that mountain was one step at a time. And there are some of you that have set your, set your mind on something uh, extravagant, something beyond your wild. You, you, someone's told you along the way to begin to dream big dreams with God. And you've begun to dream big dreams with God in obedience to his spirit, not in vanity, not in uh, de- self-aggrandizing or delusion. You really have a big dream that is God's big dream. And you're asking him for wisdom, how to walk that out. It might be in the ministry space. It might be in your business. It might be in your family. It might be, you might be in the the beginning stages of your marriage, or you might have your, your first child on the way. And you're in this season of transition into something bigger than what you, God's been preparing you. And now you're, you're dreaming a dream that's bigger than you've ever dreamed in your life. How many say, I, I feel like I'm in that, that place. Amen. Praise God for big dreams in this place. And truly, may God inspire your prayers and your faith. And may they really be, may they really be rooted in him and his heart. And so as, you, as you're walking into that, can I tell you the way that you're going to realize those things really is just one, one step of faithfulness at a time. One step of faithfulness at a time. And there's really not, I couldn't have run up that mountain, can I tell you? <laughs> it was too difficult. I actually had to just, I had to just go at the speed of my guide. I had to go at the speed that the one who had experience in it was guiding me. Sometimes God gives us a natural guide. Sometimes our guide is the Holy Spirit, but you had to go at the speed of your guide. And I couldn't have run, I couldn't have gone any faster. And had I tried to go any faster, I may not have made it to the top. And so one step at a time, enduring persevering, understanding where I'm going, understanding the vision is bigger than something I can accomplish on my own, knowing my need and in humility, just setting my face saying, I'm going to make it to the top. And there were some folks that were with us and the guide said something to me that I'll never forget. And this is even a word for some of you guys here. And it, it really corresponds with this idea of faith. There was someone who was traveling with us and he wasn't sure whether, and he was basically physically the same fitness, but it, mentally he wasn't sure if he was committed to make it to the top. And he actually didn't end up making it to the top. And our guide early on, he said, I don't think so-and-so is going to make it, but I, I'm pretty sure you guys will make it. And I said, well, why, why do you say that so confidently? He said, because you've set your mind to make it to the top. And he goes, he just goes, in my experience, that's the reality is the people that set their minds to make it, set your mind to obedience, set your mind to faithfulness, set your mind to the, if it's really of God, if your dream is really of God, if it's confirmed by God that this is what he's calling you to, then you have permission to set yourself to it no matter how big it is. 
And so, Father, I pray for it. Again, we prayed it already, but I just closed this little, this brief little prophetic word, Lord, with just asking, God, that you would strengthen people's legs. Lord, that you would strengthen, even this morning and this moment, there'd be a strengthening of resolve. I pray that you'd make their calling confirmed, that there would be real prophetic dreams and encouragements, nothing that any man or human being or woman can derive of themselves that there would be really true signs of God to confirm what you're inviting them to. And I pray it would be for your glory. I pray that it would be for the, for, the fullness of, for the fullness of your kingdom. And I pray that it would be for our satisfaction and joy to serve you with what you've called us to do. Our satisfaction and joy is to serve you, Lord. So I just ask, release that in this congregation. Let there be even so much fullness in this place. Let there be even a greater measure of fullness, God. And let it overflow into these neighborhoods, into the places that they live and they work. Just let it all overflow, God. Let it all overflow, Lord. And give unusual, unusual wisdom beyond their years, Lord. That there would be extraordinary wisdom, that people would just know the right things to do, that they would read the word of God and there would be revelation. I ask because I'm asking for these things, God, that you would do more here. That you would do more here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you all ready for the word of God this morning? So I'm going to do it. I felt like the Lord really gave me a, a, a word for this year. Uh, we did a New Year's Eve gathering at our church. And, and I felt like during that week as I was praying for 2023, God gave me a prophetic word and, and then gave me even further insight. And so I'm going to share that we're in this series kicking off based on Pastor Arthur's book. And so I read that first chapter, which is, he said what the theme was for this Sunday. He said, I want you to preach on unceasing prayer unto intimacy. And I thought, well, I'm the 24-7 worship and prayer guy. So I figure that's that's something that we do at our church at Gate City Church in, in up in North uh, Atlanta in uh, Lawrenceville. And so I thought that's a fitting that's a fitting topic for me to get to share on. And and so our main texts are going to be Psalm 27, which is David's declaration that all he wants to do is basically gaze upon the beauty of God and talk to God. And, and I'm going to break down that psalm for us. But I feel like a lot of times the psalms can seem like just really good poetry and a little bit abstracted out from the reality of people's lives, right? But I want us to actually look at a story from David's life. I don't think he wrote this psalm explicitly expressly from this experience that he had. But when you see the experience, you recognize, okay, it definitely informed his writing because he was someone that in composing these Psalms, he had real experiences with God and those experiences informed the things that he wrote. And I think the experiences he had and the things that he wrote, they can instruct us what we are to do when we encounter similar situations. So what I want you to do is we're gonna read Psalm 27 together for a moment, verses one through eight, we'll put it up on the screen. And then we're gonna go to, I gotta find it here in my Bible, Second Samuel chapter five, starting at verse 17. So those will be kind of our two main, main portions of scripture. Let me just, I should have put a little bookmark in here. I forgot to introduce my ministry associates who are here with me. They're the short ones down here on the front row. These three lovely ladies, and now is an appropriate moment to introduce them. We got Amron, Pearl, and Kessid. Say hi real quick. If y'all, if y'all, if someone needs the favor of God today on your lives, just have these three ladies pray for you before you leave, because 
I think they get more free stuff than any pe person I've ever been around. <laughs> it's dripping with favor. And favor ain't fair, you know? It's just not fair. <laughs> I'm like, what? It's, but it's just, it's just, hey, come on now. But yes, they, uh, they're special little ladies. I'm glad that we took time and prayed for you guys on the way down here. and glad to introduce them to you. So, all right, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. So those will be the two places that we'll be. We'll start in Psalm 27. We'll go to 2 Samuel, and then we'll come back to Psalm 27. I hope that you'll see the connection with a good bit of ease. Psalm 27, let's read the Word of God together. Read along with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. For one thing I've asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me or hide me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. You said, seek my face. My heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Amen. Amen. We're going to come back to this in just a moment, break it down. But I wanted you to read it before we look at this story from second. 2 Samuel. So go with me there to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. We'll get the reading out. We'll get the reading out of the way and then we'll just kind of talk about the word of God. So I'm just going to read this story to you, okay? And I'll paraphrase it a little bit. Remember the introduction to Psalm 27. What David says is, he says, the Lord's my light, my salvation, I won't be afraid. And he goes, when my enemies came against me to eat up my flesh, when war rose against me, when a host encamped against me. And there were several moments in David's life when he, he was a man of war. He was a king who, uh, who had to fight many different battles and, and won the battles of the Lord beginning even when he was a small boy and had to, the story that we all know about King David, him slaying the giant Goliath. And so... 2 Samuel verse 517, he has now become finally the king over all Israel and he's fulfilled the prophecy that Samuel spoke to him when he brought him in off the backside of the mountain and anointed him king in his brother's house. At that time, he was the youngest among his brothers and he was thought so poorly of that when the prophet shows up and says to Jesse, his father, bring all your sons in, Jesse thought, surely he means everybody but David. <laughs> So he was, the, he was the lowest among them, but now he first had been declared king in Judah. Now he's been declared king over Israel, and he's actually taken the stronghold of Jerusalem, the city that would once be known for his name, the city of David. And so it's a moment of great fulfillment for King David. And so it says in verse 17, when the Philistines heard they had anointed David king over Israel, 
all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. How many of you know when you begin to fulfill your destiny in God, the enemies of God hear it and they show up? <laughs> in those moments of important transition. And it says, they came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. And David, catch this, inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim. That means Lord of the breakthrough. And he named it that place because of the victory that he's about to win. So it wasn't named Baal-perazim before David showed up with the word of the Lord. But he shows up and he wins a great victory. And it says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. How many of you have ever seen those scenes in the movie where the explosive blow up the dam and the water begins to come through the dam and it, it breaks through the dam like a deluge and sweeps everything away before it, right? It's something that I'm sure someone along the way has seen a movie. Even my daughters, I think Frozen 2, there's a scene <laughs> that has that exact same picture, right? And that's what David, David is going the same way that waters would break through a dam or a dike. So the Lord swept through my enemies and swept them aside entirely. And so he names it God of the breakthrough. Don't you love it when God's right-handed breakthrough comes in that way in your life and sweeps the obstacles and enemies and anxieties and worries away? And you go, man, hallelujah, worship God. Sometimes he comes with that kind of breakthrough. But how many of you know, and I love this, just a little prophetic aside. So he names the place Baal Perazim, verse 21. It says, they abandoned their idols there. So David and his men carried them away. And I... I read that and it struck me, the Lord said, it wasn't that they left their idols, they abandoned their idols. And the reason that David's adversaries abandoned their idols is they realized that they were up against a spiritual force that was far greater than the idols they were worshiping. And he actually collects the treasures of wickedness when God brought the breakthrough because those who were in possession of that demonic power actually abandoned their idolatry. And scripture says, don't worship idols because in worshiping idols, you worship demons, right? And so we see it was more than just a physical victory. Something in the spirit was actually shifting where David actually took, I believe, spiritual territory. That's the way I read into this, this idea that they abandoned their idols when the breakthrough of God came. Praise God, when the breakthrough of God comes, may your family members abandon their idols. When the breakthrough of God comes, may every idol that any place of compromise in your life be swept away as well. Hallelujah, it's time. When the breakthrough of God comes, that means it's time for the idols. When breakthrough comes to a church in downtown Atlanta and the breaking of God comes, how many of you know the, the cultural idols of the day? Homosexuality, uh, uh, cultural issues of abortion, issues of racial injustice, whatever the specific issues might be, those things that are counter to the nature of God, right? counter to the nature of God, those things get abandoned by the society and the name of the Lord is exalted, Baal Perazim, the God of the breakthrough. But how many of you know we fight a resilient enemy? So even though they were defeated pretty soundly, it says now the Philistines came once again and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephim. So it's the exact same situation. How many of you know when you're faced with the same situation where you saw victory before, we can unintentionally go right back to the thing we did before in order to get the breakthrough? And in that, we neglect to do the thing that brought us the breakthrough in the first place. How did David get the breakthrough? Was it because he just went up in the strength of the Lord? No, it says he inquired of the Lord. 
He inquired of the Lord and he got the breakthrough. And the Lord said, he got the word of the Lord. The Lord said, go up and you're going to defeat them. And he went up and the very thing God said came to pass. Exact same situation, but you'll see in a moment, the instruction was entirely different. Can you see that the situation was the same? But one, God says, I'm going to come with my right hand. In this story, when David inquires of the Lord, verse 23, he says, you shall not go directly up. What? 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 It's a different strategy. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. The instruction was specific. It was strategic. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, you shall act promptly, for the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. And David did so just as the Lord had commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gazir. And so we see in this situation that the enemies of David come up against him right? And in both situations, God delivers the victory, but one is a right-handed victory, the breakthrough of God, breaking through like waters through a dam. The other is a left-handed activity. It involved David going behind and waiting for a supernatural sign in the tops of the trees, the sounds of what I believe are the angel armies of the Lord going before him. And so we see one is the right-handed activity of God. The other, he says, sneak behind and outflank them, the left-handed activity of God. Both victories, but what was key to victory? If you want to write down the, if you like the one point, two point, three points, victory is not possible without inquiry. Victory is not possible without intimacy. And so you're going, okay, we're like Pastor Arthur's book, right? Unceasing prayer is the key to intimacy, right? The, the continual abiding with the Lord. And David didn't even have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him like we do. Like we have a better covenant. We have a better promise as a priestly people that that the presence of the Holy Spirit is always with us to give us the wisdom, the connection, the intimacy that our hearts are longing for. It's what you are made for, to inquire of the Lord. And so how many of you know reading this story and then going back to Psalm 27, David was probably remembering this experience when he writes Psalm 27. He's going, I remember when I first, first day in the new capital city in Jerusalem and the Philistines came and spread out themselves in the valley to contest my kingship. It's unfortunate a lot of times, you know, there's a lyric in one of my friend's songs. It says, life ain't always, but it, life ain't only, but it's always a war. Life ain't only, but it's always a war. Meaning that there's more to life than the conflicts that we have to fight in this age. But how many of you know that really there is an enemy that is after us to destroy us, to destroy your destiny, to rob, steal, kill, and destroy? And we don't want to give too much attention to that. We want to stay centered on God. And that's what David says here. He goes, okay, the valley's filled with enemies twice. What am I going to do? I know that inquiry is the key to victory. I'm going to center and strengthen myself in God. I'm going to hear what God has to say about this seemingly difficult and fearful situation. And though we know the end of the story, we know the triumphs and the victories of David. In that moment, if you're David and you're an untested king who's newly anointed, who's just taken on a new capital city, how many know there's a temptation to be afraid in that situation? He's probably about my age. He's probably at this point, you know, in his early 40s. I'm not quite that old yet, praise God, I'm 37 years old. It's coming for me. 
And so, so turn with me back to Psalm 27. If we go, intimacy is the key to victory, right? What does the enemy want to do to keep you out of intimacy with God? He wants to intimidate you. He wants to go after your identity and your time with God and your sense of connection with God. He wants to get you busy and distracted so that you try to move against him and against the challenges of life in your own strength. How many of you know every time I've waited upon the Lord, my strength has been renewed? And every time I've rushed to handle something in my own strength, I have failed. (laughs) Unless God delivers me and shows me mercy. So David, he starts Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh. And as I'm reading this, I go, what an intimate picture of, a, of the enemy's pursuit. He wasn't just facing political enemies. He wasn't just facing people slandering about him. I mean, there were people that literally they were trying to, you know, Saul sent out assassins after David. And it's like the, the king sends out his best soldiers. And their one mission is to find this man and take him out. And that's what David had encountered. When he went against Goliath, Goliath goes, my job is to take you out. So how many of you know this is not a generalized assignment? This is a very specific assignment. And, and David goes, can you imagine? I mean, it, it, to have something specifically pursuing your life to destroy it, not just spiritual forces. Yes, we are spiritual. But in David's case, real physical people that were trying to take him out. They heard David was anointed king, and they came up and they filled the valley. So again, I'm trying to help us realize this is not just poetic language. There were real people that were really trying to destroy David. And how many of that can be a scary, that would be a scary situation. And how many of you know that if you got that news that somebody was after you or your family, you're going to the nearest gun store, right? (laughs) And you're going to arm yourself or you're going to the police station. You're doing something to put some kind of safety and protection between. and, And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But that's not... David's first move, David's first move is inquiry. David's first move, and that can sound, I I hate to say it, but it can sound like such a spiritual, overly spiritual answer to the problems of life. Like, I I love the Bible, but sometimes I hate the Bible. (laughs) Because how many of you know, you guys might have real problems. You might have real problems with coworkers. You might have real problems with disobedient children. I don't have problems with that, praise God. But you might have real problems with challenges in your marriage. You might have real problems like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent this month. You might have real problems where you feel like you're stuck in a dead-end job. You might have real problems where you're struggling with addiction or secret sin in some area of your life. Look, I've been a pastor long enough to know that there are situations like that in a a room this size. I'm speaking to somebody when I say that. And the temptation is, is to show up at church and live like God is on his throne, but to show up on Monday and, and live like you're in charge of your own life. Okay? And when we do that, right, we go, you know what, I'm going to be practical in my solutions and I'm going to go out and I'm going to solve the problem. What we do is we miss the counsel and wisdom of God where we find assurance of victory. Or we live off of the wisdom of the previous victory rather than inquiring in dependency upon God. There's, that's a real temptation, right? You go, well, he did it this way before. 
not recognizing that some seasons we're fed by manna from heaven. Some seasons we have to transition into the food of the promised land. Same people dealing with different situations because your present circumstance, God may want to teach you something. He may want to require something different of you than what the previous challenge faced, even if it looks exactly the same. And so we find intimacy and inquiry is key to victory. If it sounds like I'm repeating the same point, it's because I am. Because I want you to get it so rooted in your heart that the next time you face a giant, the next time you face a valley filled with enemies, you're, you're not going back to your own old strategy, but you're actually doing what David did that can seem too spiritual. But what he said is, I went to the prayer room. What he said is, I went and got on my knees in worship. He says, though a host encamp against me. Literally, that's what happened to David in 2 Samuel 5, 17. A, a camp and a, a, a host of an army encamps against him. He goes, my heart's not going to be afraid. The war rise against me in spite of this. I will be confident. Why is he confident in that situation? Is he confident because he slayed a giant before? Come on, answer me now. Is he confident because he slayed a giant before? No. Thank you. Thank you, Pearl. I appreciate that. She said no. <laughs> is he confident? Is he confident because Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands, and they wrote a song about his victory? No. I mean, what if you had a greatest hit that acclaimed your victories? And that was the song everybody sang. Sometimes I remember somebody very wise, a pastor that mentors me, very wise man named Crawford Luritz. He said, ministries that begin to prosper, their worst enemy is thinking that they can just keep doing what they did to get them there and they lose dependency upon God. How many of you know sometimes your worst enemy against intimacy is the prosperity that your intimacy brought you in that earlier season? Because when, you, when you're the little shepherd boy in the backside of the mountain that nobody's thinking about and you show up and they're like, you're anointed king. You're like, well, there ain't no way I'm going to do that on my own. But then you become king in Judah and they begin to sing songs about you and you become a little inflated in your heart and in your opinion of yourself. And you go, well, you know, maybe I had a little more to do with this than I actually did. I'm sure that's just me that's faced that situation in life. And, you know, God's prosperity comes on you and it's like, you know, your clothes get a little nicer, your car gets a little nicer, your house gets a little nicer, life gets a little more comfortable. And you begin to think, look at all that, I, look at all that my hand has done. And you forget that God's blessing came because of that time you emptied the bank account to give to the missions offering. And you stop doing that kind of stuff, right? And you plateau and you lose your hunger for God and you get materialistic or you get in compromise and sin or you get into those kinds of situations where you stop inquiring of the Lord. And we see that if we were to read the rest of David's story, there's, there's moments where he goes out and he counts his army because he wanted to measure his own strength. And the prophet comes to him and says, judgment has come to you because you're measuring and calculating your ability to get victory based on your own strength. And he forgot this lesson of his younger, younger, younger years. But whenever David, the unique thing about David is when that word of the Lord, maybe the word of the Lord's come into you today. He didn't put himself in a timeout corner when the realization struck David that he wasn't doing right. He cried out to the Lord. Time and time again, he returned to the things that he returned to that intimacy that I believe he cultivated on that backside of the mountain when he was a shepherd boy. 
One thing I've asked for the Lord. This is what made David confident. What's the one thing that makes you confident? For me, it's a struggle because I can have a lot of confidence in my good looks. That was a joke. You know, don't laugh too hard now, but <laughs> wasn't that funny? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> what is it that makes you confident? Is it your finances? Is it your education? Is it your ability with people? Is it what is it that makes you confident? Right? You know, Paul the Apostle says something very similar to what David said here. He said, he said, I've counted everything as a loss, and the things that gave me confidence before, you know, I was Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the most educated. He goes, I counted it all as dung. He uses the word, like, literally, refuse. And he goes, I, I've counted all that as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ my Lord. And we go, what's the, what's the, he goes, I, I have no confidence. I put no confidence in the flesh. And if you, you're hearing that and you go, well, I don't put any confidence in the flesh, you probably haven't let your heart be adequately searched by the Holy Spirit. Because everyone in this room is putting confidence in, the, in their flesh to some degree. And the degree to which you empty yourself of your confidence in your flesh and put your confidence in the Lord is the degree to which you are going to be an empty vessel through which his presence and power can flow. And so David, he goes, one thing I've asked the Lord, this one thing I will seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Basically, David is saying, I'm a king with king problems, and, the, and the, my kingship, I'm going to meet my king problems with a priestly calling. Catch that. You might be an educator in this room. You might be a government official in this room. You might be a salesperson in this room. You might be an entrepreneur. You might be in full-time ministry. Whatever your vocational calling is. David's vocational calling was a warrior king, right? But his situation, a warrior king, he didn't meet warrior king problems with a warrior king solution. He made warrior king problems with a priestly solution. And that doesn't make sense to the world, does it? He goes, I'm going to be a priest that unceasingly worships before God. I mean, can you imagine if you're like his right-hand general guy? David walks out to the walls, and they see there's all the Philistines out in the valley, spread out in the valley. And the general comes up to him and says, King David, I know you fought many battles like this before. I'm confident just as you slayed Goliath, we'll slay these Philistine dogs. Tell us, what's the plan? What do you want me to do? David goes, well, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to pick up my guitar. I'm going to worship for a little bit. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I need to go take some time because, yeah, I faced this situation before, but I know that I need to go uh, actually sing a worship song. I need to go sing a, you know, I lift your name on high, Lord. <laughs> Lord, I lift, Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> I need to go, uh, I need to go back. I need to get in the presence of God. I need to close my eyes and look at his what are you talking about, David? He says an army's encamping against him. And he's not afraid. He's like, I'm just going to go worship and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Like, no, David, we need it. Like, that, that's good. Let's do that after the battle. <laughs> like, right now, we need a solution. I need the plan. We need to strategize. We need Whoever that person in your life is telling you that, that that's impractical and you need to get back to strategy and you're being too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, that is a lie out of the pit of hell. Because inquiry is the key to victory, right? And God may have an unorthodox strategy for you that no human wisdom can comprehend or understand. 
That's what it means to really be a supernatural people. Is we're not, we're not dependent on man's wisdom or even good biblical wisdom. We're dependent on the person of the Holy Spirit inside of us to give us victory. And God may have a strategy that's unique to you. God may have a strategy and, and discernment and the ability to recognize how it is that we advance. We advance out of that place of inquiry and intimacy with the Lord. And you know what? We don't just show up and talk to him when we have problems. We make the confidence of our life that we live. One thing I desire, this one thing I seek. David's not just showing up to pray and worship when he's got a problem. He's going, this is the lifestyle that I've cultivated. I'm, yes, I'm vocationally a king, but in my heart of hearts, people of God, in your heart of hearts, are you a priest? And what is unique is, you know, Saul as a king was never able to offer the sacrifices. That's what got him in trouble, right? But David did all kinds of stuff that was priestly because David was a picture of our priest, King Jesus, and so David comes, he says, I want to be a priest. And he goes, and then he goes right back and he goes, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Notice in verse five, how do you get concealed in the day of trouble? Somebody tell me, look at it. How do you get concealed in the day of trouble? He will conceal me in the day of trouble. You're not having to conceal yourself. How are you hidden from the storms and challenges, protected and made safe when the enemies of life come against you? He will hide you in his tent. Are you going to climb your way onto the top of that rock? Or would you rather he lift you up and put you on that rock? Oh, I'll take the lift. Thank you very much. I'll take the lift. And now my head will be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. What a beautiful thing. He lifts you up and puts you in the place of victory. And then your head is lifted up above all your enemies all around me. And I was meditating on this. And I was thinking about it because as a military person, you know, when you have the high ground, right? You're in the position of ascendancy and victory. You're able to have the perspective to see what's coming against you, and you're able to fight downhill. But how do you get to the high ground? He will lift you up when you live as a priest. Live in the place of ascendancy spiritually. Whew, a few times climbing Mount Kenya, I wouldn't have minded how a little lift up. He will lift you up. Now my head will be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. And guess what? he does with the victory that God has given. What does David do when he gets the victory? I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. He goes, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. So he goes, I'm stuck in a situation where people want to devour my flesh. I'm going to be a priest in that moment and lift my hands before the Lord. And I'm confident the deliverance of God is going to come. He's going to hide me. He's going to conceal me. He's going to lift me up. And when he's lifted me up above all my enemies all around me, I'm going to shout. I'm going to declare the victory of God. I'm going to sing the song of the Lord. I'm going to give praises to the only one who could have put me in this situation situation because I know that I know that I never could have gotten here on my own I can't get there on my own I'm not smart enough I'm not strong enough I'm not bright enough 
but I can lift my hands and set my gaze and inquire of the one who is. And we sing to him in the place of victory. We sing praises to the Lord. Do you see it? Is the word of God coming alive in your heart? Do you see the way David lived? He lived. He lived inquiring, entering into God's victory, and then coming back and going, nobody could have done that except God. Nobody could have done that except God. Literally, Psalm 27 is a song about something real that David experienced, and he goes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Like, we're, we're still meditating today, thousands of years later, upon the victory that God granted David because he took time to sing and shout about it. Give God glory. He gave God glory for what he did. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. And then verse 8, I don't want you to miss this because this is really, it, everything I just said is very practical, okay? But this verse exposes the depths of David's heart posture. He's really getting into it right now. He's bearing his soul before us. This is a, I believe this is a real conversation that David had with the Lord. He says, when you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. He's in that intimate place of inquiry with God. A place that he probably began to cultivate in his earliest days where the Lord spoke about David to the prophet Samuel and said, man doesn't look at outward appearance, man looks at the heart. And I've sought a shepherd, I've sought a shepherd over the house of Israel that is a man who's after my heart. And David's even saying here, he's going, you know what, God? You said, seek my face. You said, seek my face. And you know, God, my heart said, your face, O oh Lord, I will seek. It's what I want more than anything. It's what I've always wanted more than anything. If there's anything in our lives that's more important to us than our intimate relationship with God, right, that's less than God's very best for us. We want to cultivate a heart that's like David. When the Lord speaks to us, he says, seek my face, seek my face. From the very depths of our being, we would say to him, your face, O oh Lord, is what I want. Your face is what I want. The face represents the place of intimate exchange, the place of deeply knowing. You know, when you connect with a, a young child, if you're a parent in the room, it's like the child looks at your face and there's so much communication and exchange that happens face to face. So much happens even beyond words. And that's the way God longs to connect with us. He says to you, you don't have to seek my hand, right? What did he say to Moses? I mean, this is pretty wild. He says, Moses says, show me your glory. He says, my glory would kill you. I'm just going to show you my back, right? But yet, Corinthians tells us that we have a greater covenant than what Moses did. We with unveiled faces can look upon the glory of God. We with unveiled faces get to be face to face. We get to take the very thing that was burning in David's heart, and you get to experience it in this life in a deeper way than even he got to. Yes, he had the tabernacle, but you are a tabernacle. Right? He had a priesthood. You are a, you are a priest. He had sacrifices. You've become the sacrifice. That's real. That's real Bible that we could take a long time to break down. Right? How everything I just said is true. You've been a given a covenant in which you are able to have as much of God as you actually want in this life. Filled with all the fullness of God. Exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.19 says. 
How much can you dream of the fullness of God in your life? And God's saying, come on, seek my face. Does your heart say, your face, O Lord, I will seek? Your face, O Lord, I will seek. That has to translate, that can't just be, that can't just be what we show up and do on Sunday morning. That can't just be something that's relegated to our our devotional time. And praise God, show up Sunday morning and have a devotional time. What I'm talking about is the deeper cry of the heart that says whatever it takes, God, that we're not just, you know, you see the victory of David over the Philistines. You see the heart cry of David. I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. And then you see his, his heart cry that says, Lord, I want to seek your face. And I just go, well, well, Lord, that's who I want to be in this life. Nothing less, nothing more. Like if you were to distill it all down, like what does it mean to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And to have that deep groan inwardly that says, God, I want to live encountering you face to face each and every day. And yes, there's ways that we have to practically express that when that cry is real. But if that cry isn't awakened in us, the practicals don't matter. The practicals actually just kind of become religious if you don't have that cry on the inside. And so as we talk about unceasing prayer and worship, Unto intimacy with God. I want to close with, with that thought, and I'll give a few practical things here. The groan, the ache for God on the inside, the kind of longing that makes you right, as the deer pants for the water, but so my soul pants after you, God. In Psalm 43 or 42, David writes that. The, the kind of ache that makes you say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell anywhere else. The kind of ache that says, Lord, uh, as in a dry and weary land, so my soul thirsts after you, right? That kind of hunger and thirst that maybe made you pray through the night in your younger years. Have you never prayed through the night? Finding that place of desire that goes, you know what? I'm going to skip meals, not because, not just because I want breakthrough, but I just want to be near to God. I just want you, Lord. And it's like that, that's not, fantasy that's not someone else's spiritual reality that can be yours today that can be yours today desire for God nearness to God face to face with God in the secret place and as you do that yeah you're not going to want to quit praying you're not you're not going to want to preoccupy yourself with other solutions or other problems or in my heart of hearts today like I I have more blessing than I feel like my life can even contain my family, my children, my friend. Like, I'm such a, a deeply blessed man. But I go, Lord, if any of these blessings become a distraction from what's truly most important, take them away. Give me a smaller house. God, give me a simpler life. Give me whatever, like, because I want to live a life where everything is connected to you and who you are. And that's more important than any material comfort, than any job promotion, than anything. And I go, that's such a temptation in our material world, right? Is it really 1.30? So practically, you got to make room for God. You got to make room for God. You might need to make room for God in the mornings. You might need to make room for God at night. You might need to make room for God in your lunch break. You might need to make room for God at your dinner table. You might need to make room for God. But if there's any place where your cares and worries and the things that you're doing in your job is choking out your ability to connect with God, and there's, just, there's not room for God in your life. Right? If ministry is choking out your ability to have room for God, you need to prioritize that place where you have room for God. Is there room for God in your life? David 
it, David would have been justified. How many of you would have faulted David? David would say, I, I don't have time to pray right now. <laughs> I got armies out in front of me, people. I got people here to devour my flesh. Like, I got I to gotta solve a problem. You're, you should never, we can never be too busy to have room for God. So I don't, there are lots of, lots of smarter people than me that can give you good strategies on how to make room for God. I just want to tell you today, there has to be room for God. There has to be room for God. And, and if you make room for God and he begins to take up, occupy the space and time within your day, do it in such a way that your heart is richly connecting with him. You, he's going to take up more and more space in your life. We want our lives consumed in the presence of God. We want to be a fragrant sacrifice before him. Second thing I'll tell you again, I'm making it real practical. Make room for God. And then I said it earlier, but I'll say it again now. It's in the little choices. It's in the little choices. Is this book getting opened daily? Are you clicking on the right app daily? So you make room for God, but how do you make room for God? The hard expression starts, it starts in the little choices. And, you know, I, I don't want to be a religious person. It's like, so I want to be a joyful person. Okay, so don't, don't mishear me. I want to be a joyful person that enjoys life and has room for family and relationships and things that are fun. But some of us do need to watch a little less Netflix and, and, and make sure that this book's getting open every day. Swipe on the word of God, not swipe left. It's in the little things. And then the last thing I'll leave you with is any spiritual growth in your life is going to be more attributed to God than it is to you. Meaning he's a much better leader than we are followers. And that actually can be a faith-building thought. Because a lot of times we disqualify ourselves because we see that we're so small and weak. And we go, you know what? I don't know. I've tried. I've tried to serve the Lord. I've tried to get over this this challenge in my life and I fail time and time again and we lose heart we lose courage and you're like alright great pastor like you're in full time ministry like awesome you make room for God it's in the little things okay I hear you but you haven't seen the last five times I've failed to read the Bible in a year and then didn't get through Genesis <laughs> or the last five times I tried to break that addiction looking at things on the internet that I shouldn't be and now you've just made peace with your compromise but God Whatever victory, whatever freedom, whatever it, wherever it is you need to be lifted up, I know it can seem impractical, but it's the most practical thing I can tell you. It's going to be God's leadership in your life than it is anything you can do in your own strength. So surrender to it today. Get on your knees and ask for his help again. Come before the Lord with open hands. Say, God, take away whatever you need to take away and add whatever you need to add because my life is wholly yours. And that rededication in an unreserved way, in a way that your heart is fully surrendered to him, that is the place of great strength and great faith where what was impossible a moment ago in your own strength, you can't climb up on that rock, but he will lift you up. How radical a difference is it between me? <laughs> you know, I... I the picture that keeps coming to mind is like there was a, a bunch of folks when we did that one race Stone Mountain event, they hiked to the top of Stone Mountain. Who here has ever hiked to the top of, top of Stone Mountain? It's, it's a decent, it's a little decent hike. I took the lift that day. <laughs> there are a lot of sweaty, hot people there at the top of that prayer meeting, but I took the lift. <laughs> he lifted me up.
there's a big difference in experience between trying to climb something and being lifted up into the position you need to be in. Why did David get lifted? Why was he confident? One thing, the desire of the Lord, this one thing I'll see. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. You got to make room for God. You got to live in the little things and make the right choices. But at the end of the day, the victory will belong to him and to him alone. And you'll look back and you'll say, you know what? I surrendered. I prayed. I prayed the prayer. Maybe I prayed it 10,000 times, but it was the 10,000 and first time that something began to happen in my life. And God's answers began to come. And that situation began to shift. And we know this is who God is, right? We know this is who God is. He's wanting, he's wanting to encounter you today and to break up those hard places in your heart today and change that circumstance in your life today so you can have more of him. He's wanting that more than you are. Who starts the conversation about David's heart in verse 8? The Lord said, seek my face. David said, my heart responded. We're all in here. We're responding to the pursuit of a sovereign, holy, and glorious God. And we would be very confused to think that somehow it's going to be our own effort that's going to draw us closer to him. We respond to the Lord. Don't be unresponsive. Respond to the Lord. Don't respond to a preacher. Don't respond to the worship. But truly today in your heart of hearts, respond to the Lord. Respond to the Lord. Make room for him. Do the little things. And consider where is God inviting me? And respond to the Lord. Respond to the invitation of the Lord because it's in that place he'll lift you up. Let's stand together. and Let's pray. I feel led if you feel like, hey, that's a word that specifically this last little bit that I've been sharing where you maybe have felt discouraged like you don't have enough strength to get yourself to where you need to be. And you feel God perhaps giving you faith today to trust him to be the one that lifts you up. And you say, I actually need that today. I need the Lord to lift me up in some place where I felt stuck, beset by enemies. And I just want to agree with you. And, and the easiest way I know to agree with you is just to invite you to come down. It, it's not an ego thing for me. You're happy, feel free to respond there in your seats if you, if you prefer that. But if it would help you have faith, I want to invite you to go ahead and come down and, and respond to the Lord. And I will agree with you. I'll pray with you if you need that today.